This is the Microsoft Cloud Show, episode 321. Today, AC and I are going to talk about some new Azure goodies and some news. Recorded September 19th, 2019. Are you being asked repeatedly to integrate different business systems in ever narrower timeframes and with increasing process complexity? What if you could standardize the way you build these business processes so your team are focusing on higher value tasks versus the nuts and bolts of running the processes and integrations? Nintex can make it happen. With a Nintex platform, workflows from person to person, system to system, to the cloud and back. Got a custom system you want to connect with? No-code extensions let you plug into systems simply and easily using REST and Swagger. With Nintex, work just flows, so your teams can work smarter, work faster, and be more connected than ever. Try it out free for 30 days at www.nintex.com forward slash try NWC. AC, how you doing, my friend? <laughs> You're a lot more awake than I am. It's international talk like a pirate day, don't you know? No, I didn't. <laughs> Why is it that pirates always sound a little bit Irish? <laughs> That's a good point. I don't know, but they do sound a little bit Irish. <laughs> I'm sorry to all our Irish listeners. You're keeping character quite... Oh, you were holding that for quite a while there, man. I'm impressed. I'm going to do the entire episode this way. I'm only kidding. <laughs> uh, while you're doing the while you're doing the monologue, I'm gonna go grab a little rum real quick. Yeah. Now we're talking. Let's get yeah, creative. You put, you put me in the mood there on the rum. Yeah. We may never get to the news at that rate. <laughs> yeah. How you doing, man? <laughs> pretty good. Pretty good. I'm uh, back in the saddle from travel. I think I mentioned that last week and getting a bunch of stuff done and it's it's nice to be home and and I'm feeling a bit more productive, actually. It's, it's good. You know, like, I don't know about you, but you come off the back of travel and you're just bloody exhausted and you get, you get sweet FA done for the next few days, right? At least I do. This is usually my pattern. I absolutely crash, and then it takes a few days to come out of the crash and, uh, and get productive again. So now I feel like I'm back on top of things. What are the no. that, that would require feeling like I've got things under control. That's definitely not the case. <laughs> Feeling like I'm on top of getting some things done. You're starting to feel productive again. That's a better way to describe it. Yeah. <laughs> the list is not getting any shorter. That's for sure. <laughs> what about you? I am dragging today. I've been up since four o'clock. I'm on my uh, last minute cram to try and get as much stuff done as I can before the end of the quarter. That ends in about a week or so, and I'm running behind. And so it's trying to get as much done as I possibly can, which means that I don't do well working at night. So it means I shift all my stuff up to the morning and now I'm getting up at four and I'm just tired. <laughs> I'm, sleep- I'm not tired. I'm sleepy. I'm sleepy. I'm just trying to get stuff done. And it, it's frustrating when you, what I'm working on right now, I'm not going to go into details on it, but I'm working on right now. I am supposed, this stuff should be mature and it should be working. And the simplest thing just keeps giving me a, sorry, something went wrong. And there is no error log. There are no warning messages. There's not even a correlation ID. There's nothing to, to give me and say, here's where you go and look further. I'm like, wow, I guess something didn't work. And so I asked somebody who knows what they're doing. And they're like, so what'd you do? I'm like, I literally created the project and did the equivalent of hitting F5. And they're like, yeah, that should have worked. I'm like, yeah, that was my expectation too. <laughs> no, no shit, Sherlock. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's a... Uh, yes, something went wrong. Hmm. Which product could that come from? Hmm. It's not SharePoint, 
Ooh, really? Yeah, and even more so. Here's the part that's even more frustrating. And I, I don't want to get on a on a rant here because I know we want to. We don't want to. I don't want to drag this out too long. But something went wrong, and so you tried again, and something went wrong again. And so then I'm like, all right, well, let me go somewhere else. So I went somewhere else and the thing, what I was installing, it's supposed to show up somewhere else. So I want to go over to that somewhere else place. I have two instances of it. So something didn't really go wrong. It installed, but it told me something went wrong. So uh, it's frustrating. So anyway, I can proceed. It's just that I'm writing a lab right now. And so what am I going to do? So they're going to say, click this and everything will work. I'm not going to take the screenshot of something went wrong. I'm like, now go over here and see it's there. Yeah. <laughs> Hope it's like that. Yep. Fair enough. It's magic. Like you're ordering stuff online and you, and you hit the order, you know, pay now button and it goes, something went wrong and you're like, did it order it? Yeah. Did it change? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure. And I love those websites that, you know, it's got like the spinning donut or whatever while it's doing your payment and it's like, whatever you do, don't refresh this page. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You're like, uh. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Last week, we really quickly mentioned this. Uh, you mentioned Brad Smith's book. The C, the, the general counsel for Microsoft. His book's called Tools and Weapons The Promise and Peril of the Digital Age. And you highlighted it, or it came to your attention because the whole thing with that Trump quote and everything. And I've gotten to that part of the. So I, I got the book, I started listening to it. I'm about five hours into it or four hours into it, and in chapter eight. And I got to the part where the Trump administration asked him that question. And no surprise, the media made that quote in that part of his book out to be a much bigger mountain than it really was. Um, oh my God. It's Wait a it, second. It, you mean they're making mountains out of mil- molehills maybe? Yeah. It's equivalent to any politician. It's a whole part of the book that he talks about. And politics is involved in it and governments and stuff. And he mentioned something about, there's a common theme where you can see that elected officials are not as savvy on the issues that are going on and so they're given talking points by their aides or whatever staff. Yeah, their aides. And a guy did say, "What you're not going to help us spy?" And his response was something on the lines of, "No, we're not going to help you spy on people that are outside of the U.S. The same way that you're not going to try to apply your laws to people to U.S. citizens when they're outside the U.S." And the the official was like, "Oh, that makes sense." But of course, what they catch. The stuff that makes news. So it's just, it was a, it sounds interesting. Yeah. The book is so far is very interesting. So I definitely give it two thumbs up. Good, good. He's a fascinating dude. And he seems pretty articulate in his speeches and everything. And it's very engaging. So I was, I was wondering what his book would be like. Sounds like it's worth a read. It's good. It's not dry. It's not dry legal stuff. And I will say that it, I'm, a, I'm generally one that prefers less regulation and less rules and stuff like that. And then saying, you know, we need to regulate Facebook and blah, blah. He has made some points that have made me be like, oh, you know, that's a really good point. So it, I like it. He's definitely winning me over and I really enjoyed it. So I'd give it two thumbs up. Hey, speaking of going deep, before we get into the news, you know, many, many shows ago, you put us onto this video. You mentioned, I think it was a pick perhaps. I can't remember. It was wow. a long time ago about this Apollo guidance computer restoration project that was going on. Mm. And you pointed to a video and I I watched that video and it basically was this guy who'd bought this big two-ton pile of excess surplus stuff from NASA many years ago and put it in a warehouse and he finally got around to looking at it and it turns out there is a, one of the original 15 guidance computers that were made, one of them was in this junk pile or this surplus pile and then they started restoring it. Anyway, so... Pointed that video and I watched it and I was like, that's really fascinating. Anyway, I came across it the other day and 
Turns out there's an entire video series about this thing, all the way through to getting the whole thing back up and running. And I only thought there was one video, but it turns out there's like a whole nother 30 hours of content I can watch. And I won't get into the gory details, but last night I had a lot of time on my hands and I just went totally deep on it. I'm multiple videos into it now and I'm learning about oscilloscopes and Norgate, like backplane wiring of the guidance computer and just like, oh my God, it's so good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it, it was cool too. Because I, I watched some of that. I watched a couple of those videos. I think I've only watched like five or six of them. And like you, I thought that, that was it. I know you thought it was one. But I thought it was. I thought I, I got a couple more into it. And then I go back to YouTube, and it's like going, "Hey, here's another video that you're looking at." It's like, well, these guys are really. They're still pumping stuff out. And but what was neat is that they were showing like here's a memory module. But when you looked at the memory module, it looked like it had been like it looked like it had been like waxed over, like it had been filled up, and. Awesome. Yeah, it had been potted, and they, but they didn't explain really well what potted really meant. And I watched a couple of videos from something else. I just happened to see it. Actually, the, the one that I mentioned last week where at the Houston IBM Museum or Huntsville, one of the two, uh, and he made a comment about it, and it just it kind of clicked like, ah, oh, that's what they do it for the vibration and all that kind of stuff. So it was... I'm effectively, right, to stop stuff moving around. Yeah, insulate it, make sure, so keep humidity uh, out of it, dust, and uh, also because it's just the vibrations are so violent, so... yeah. Now, that's awesome. But, I started going deep on that. So multiple videos into that. I'm learning about all sorts of electrical engineering things that I never thought I'd hear again after university. And, yeah. uh, and it's just like, oh yeah, I remember about that. That's cool. <laughs> Man, it's just, I don't know, final comment on this. It just blows my mind the complexity of this computer for when it was built 50 years mm. ago, more than 50 years ago now. And, and what they did with it. And what they did with it, like, Absolutely staggering. The more you learn about it, the more impressive it really is. And those people that say, yeah, but my phone can, is more powerful than this thing. I'm like, yeah, but your phone wasn't made to do this. And your phone could not take a Saturn V to the moon. Yeah, if anybody's interested, go to a search for Eldon Hall. He's the guy that wrote most of the stuff for this computer and, and designed quite a bit of it. And you can go deep just researching him and seeing some of his videos and speeches on YouTube about the history of the computer. He's written a book published in 96 that I'm trying to get a copy of. Anyway, it's fascinating. Mm, very we should, cool. We should move on. We should move on. All right, but before we do that, let's hear from a couple of our great sponsors. For those of us familiar with ShareGate, we know they've always been about SharePoint and Office 365 migration. But now that we've all moved to the cloud, like me, you're probably thinking about how to scale your Office 365 to a full self-serve environment without worrying about thousands of groups and teams popping up out of nowhere, AKA Sprawl. That's why the folks at ShareGate developed ShareGate Apricot. It's a solution that helps us automate our Office 365 group governance by allowing us to collaborate with users to keep everyone accountable for the things they create. Their super simple to use in-app experience lets us lighten our load by delegating group management responsibilities to users we trust, AKA no more Sprawl. Want to get your hands on ShareGate Apricot? Try it free for 30 days at sharegate.com forward slash cloud show. Struggling to reproduce problems in your code base? Successful software starts with Raygun. Raygun provides application performance monitoring, unlike anything you've experienced before, offering greater clarity around how your software is performing for your customers than any other APM provider. Easily detect and diagnose issues impacting end users and monitor every part of your stack in one place. 
It's time to get back to building great software instead of fighting it. Start your journey to better software quality. Try Raygun free at raygun.com today. Okay, see, we've got some news. We've got some Azure goodies. It looks like there's a bunch been going on in, uh, in Azure land. So we've, we'll crank through some of that. And then we've got some bits and pieces about GitHub and, and Office 365 that we can get into. Would you like to uh, kick us off? I happily will. I'm going to let you tackle the AKS stuff because sure. you're Mr. AKS for us. I've got two things around CDNs, that's some new features and stuff that we have, and some other benefits. There's a lot of news here, and you can kind of tell that Ignite's coming up because here comes a lot of the Azure news because, of course, they've got a million things to share, and they can't do it all in one week. Yeah, they get it all out, right? Yeah. Yeah. So earlier last week, Microsoft announced a BYOC for Azure CDN. So now what that means is you can bring your own SSL cert to your CDN if you're using Verizon or Akamai. It allows you to, instead of using the search that they provide, you can bring a search that you provide. This is interesting. You know, customers want to be able to do this. This is available as a GA feature. It does not cost anything. It's, completely, it's included in your service, mm. uh, what you're already doing with uh, Azure CDN. We are using it, both I'm using it on my site and you're using it on, well, sorry, we are using it on the podcast as well, but we decided to use the one, the, C, the SSL search that they generate they're generating the certs on the fly and installing them from Let's Encrypt. So you can use the ones that when you let Azure do it for you, it's all done via Let's Encrypt, or you can bring your own. Do Azure use Let's Encrypt for that, do they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, if I'm not mistaken, if you go to the Microsoft Cloud Show and you click on the little secure thing and go to learn about the certificate, you'll see, let's see, details That's on the search. Okay, that one's from Cloudflare. But the one that we had, if you go... Like, so you can do it because you know the URL and we don't want to share it with everybody because we want people to go to the domain of the site. But yeah. if you go straight to the one that we have in our Azure storage blob and you look at the cert there, it's from Let's Encrypt. Interesting. I'm surprised yeah. because Microsoft are a cert issuer in their own right. And so they could have issued them from their own thing. Anyway, hmm. curious. So that's one. Another thing that I wanted to highlight here is this is a... a Nice little feature. Microsoft is now saying, guess what? doesn't cost anything for data egress and data transfer when you move stuff from what's called Azure Origin to an Azure CDN. So if your data is in Azure Storage, Azure Media Services, Azure Application Gateway, a couple other ones as well, effective October 2019, they will no longer charge you for the data transfer out of those things. So right now with our podcast... All the stuff comes from Azure Storage, and then from there it goes into Azure CDN, and then those, C- and then from Azure CDN, that's where content is distributed. We technically right now are paying for the egress from our Azure Storage blob into Azure CDN, but in about a month we won't have we won't pay, be paying for that anymore. For us, it's it's almost a negligible amount, but I mean, for some companies that can be a really big deal. So now you only are going to be paying for the transfer coming out of the CDN. Yeah, I was going to say it's like a double double taxation at the moment, right? Yeah. Whereas now you'll just be taxed or charged on the from a single egress out of the Microsoft network. Yep. Groovy. We've been doing a little bit on the Hyperfish product with the CDN around our SPFX components to really speed things up in certain areas of the world. And it's made a phenomenal difference. Mm-hmm. It's really good. It really is, yeah. Coolio. Hey, so some AKS bits and pieces. AKS is in government cloud, which is pretty nice, certainly in the US part of Azure Gov, which is pretty solid. So 
often you hit these cases, right, where these services come out and everybody in these industries or in these particular areas of the market, like in government, are like, wow, that's really cool. We want to use that. And then like, oh, actually, we're way behind. And so it turns out, yes, you are quite a long way behind. But September the 18th, 2019, this blog post was posted. And so when did AKS come out? It was like, not last year, the year before, I think, right? So it's maybe... Like June of 17, I think. Yeah, it must be. Yeah, because you were, yeah, you were at Build as a company. You guys were concerned about, you know, are we going to be able to move over there in time and stuff? And I remember you ended up moving over sometime over the following summer after they had gone GA. Yeah, that's right. It was right after they went GA, like three weeks or something. It was really mm-hmm. close. Uh, anyway, so two years later, AKS has come to Azure government, which will make a lot of people pretty happy, I believe. I don't know if two years is the norm. I think that seems like a long time from what I've seen about other things. But I think AKS is going gangbusters for Azure. I get the Mm -hmm. feeling like from the people I'm speaking to there and stuff that it's growing hand over fist. And so it's like, I'm I'm glad these customers get to benefit from it. It'll also help ISVs who are building software that they want to go target government customers to be able to deploy into government cloud as well, Mm -hmm. like us. (laughs) No self-interest there at all. No, not a bit. <laughs> um, also, another news, speaking of AKS, Microsoft in good managed services citizen land are moving forward with a march of progress in terms of the versions that you can that are supported in AKS. So they're deprecating or sunsetting 1.10.x clusters, and you have to move up to 1.11, 1.12, 1.13, or 1.14 clusters for AKS. Fortunately, they make this insanely simple. And all we do, like when we have to bump versions, is you can either do this through the UI or the CLI. You go, I want to move my cluster from this to that. It will drain each node in your cluster of containers mm-hmm. and bring up a fresh node and then swap it in. And so you can do an entire Kubernetes upgrade of minor version upgrade at least completely with zero downtime. It's awesome. It is so cool. It's, I've seen I panicked and we, we scheduled maintenance time for this, right? Not panicked, that's the wrong word. But like, I was concerned that we were going to incur downtime because I just didn't believe that it could be done with zero downtime. Yeah. And I thought something would go wrong, especially when it's not in your own hands, right? When you're leaving it up to another party to do the upgrade and roll things in, you're like, surely there's a little bit of downtime. Yeah, schedule some maintenance. So we did, and sure enough, there was like no problem. It is watching the animations for this when they first started describing it. You're like, I agree with you. The first time I heard this that that you could do this, it surprised me that it was even possible. And then you saw the animations of it, like going, okay, I can kind of buy it. And the more you think, like going, it makes sense because it's not my app; it's just the underpinnings of the entire service. So it makes sense, and, and let it manage the whole thing. And they do, they do, it does do a fantastic job of doing that. But call me a bit of a pessimist, but you can watch all the diagrams and you can hear them talk and you're like, yeah, that's good. But mm-hmm. when we actually do this, are any of our requests going to get dropped or what have you? Mm-hmm. Turns out they do a pretty bang up job of it. So, And it's just so easy. The freaky part about it, it's like if you do it in the UI, it's you know like two clicks and you can upgrade mm-hmm. and it actually works. Yeah, which is pretty nice, like you're saying, with the, the end of life, uh, the changes that they're end up making too that are coming up. Yeah, I'm almost at the point where, I don't actually know if they offer this, but 
it'd be great if you could just check a box and say, just keep me on the latest minor patch version. Mm-hmm. Just upgrade for me. I'd be comfortable with having Microsoft manage that now that we know our upgrades are <clears throat> our upgrades are seamless. Mm. Maybe not straight away. Maybe like wait a week and then patch. But yeah, yeah, cool. That's all of our AKS news, right? Correct. Okay. So the next thing I've got here is more good news related to storage. Uh, continuing on with the CDN change I did that we just talked about. They're cutting Azure Archive storage. They're cutting, sorry, they're cutting the pricing of Azure Archive Storage. <laughs> they're cutting it by 50% and up to 50% in some regions. The blog post that they have about it, they can't really talk. They, there's not much that they can really say about it. Just that, hey, we're, we're slashing pricing of Archive even more. And so the blog post focuses on, look at how much all these other companies are saving uh, by using Azure Archive. Because, I mean, what more can you say about that? It's cheaper. Yeah, so not much. So I'll let you go with the next bit of news. Your bill will get lower. You use that, right? I use it for backup, but I because <laughs> I'm embarrassed. Because the hot storage is so cheap, I don't even worry about it. It's like 20 bucks a month, but I should. I could switch from hot to cold and cold to archive, and I could save even more, but I just I don't right now. I haven't tested it with my, with my NAS to make sure that it can manage all that stuff. So Another little interesting tidbit, general availability for user-assigned managed identities for app service and Azure functions. So... You know how you can create these, what do you call them, like service principles and accounts for getting access to other protected resources in your Azure subscription, Mm -hmm. things like that. So now you can create two of these kinds of identities, managed identities. One's called a system-assigned identity, which you've been able to do for a while. But you can also create this new one called a user-assigned identity. And they describe this as a standalone Azure resource which can be assigned to your app. An app can have multiple user-assigned identities, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. I don't know what the scenario is for multiple. I haven't. I don't. Somebody's apparently asked for it. Yeah, that's kind of curious. Anyway, so you can go and create these things in, in the managed, in the identity tab for your um, app service, for example, in Azure, and sort of control the identities used to access other resources and stuff. Hmm. Very cool. Nice little improvements. Another one that I have that's kind of related, it's somewhat related to that, Azure Function Consumption Plans. They now have an option now or an option for using Linux-based applications that is now generally available. So you can now have Azure Function Consumption Hosting Plan for Linux-based apps. Ooh. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. DevOps land. There is a plethora of updates and improvements for Azure DevOps and Activities. There's a blog post put out on September 6th that details what's been going on in Sprint 157 for Azure DevOps, including things like roll-up columns to backlogs that let you track progress across work item hierarchies. So if you're a big DevOps shop and use this for work management and things, some nice, uh, nice incremental improvements. I just love how they do these blog posts with bunch of detail on what's gone into each sprint and stuff. I think that's great transparency. I love it. And not only that, but when you go into Azure DevOps in the bottom in the corner, it's like, what's new? And it shows, hey, Sprint 157, and it takes you to this blog post. So you don't even have to follow the blog post. If you're using the tool, I always glance out in the corner and see like, hey, what, what the latest is. We interviewed Donovan Brown two Ignites ago, I think. And 
maybe last night or two nights ago, wherever it was. And he was like, you just got to focus, just take a look at Azure DevOps and just look at our release management stuff. And I never really did. And when I finally did, and I finally forced myself to go look at it because I screwed up and I submitted a session for a conference and thought by then I would figure it out. And then I realized the week before I hadn't figured it out yet. So I had to figure it out pretty damn fast. Kind of like Scott Guthrie's talked about in our show many, 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 many shows ago. Holy crap, I mean, they've done an incredible job with this. The pipeline stuff is absolutely awesome. And their responsiveness too is very, very good as well. I mean, they I found a bug in their gulp task uh, and had to revert back to the preview one and kind of hard code some stuff. After I was able to confirm it, opened up a bug. A week and a half later, they got back to me. They were, yeah, we don't think this is a bug. I was like, really? Because here's all the stuff that I did. And they're like, oh, yeah, actually, that's a bug. And a day later, he's like, it's been fixed and it'll be rolled out in the next in our next update, which is in three weeks. I'm like, holy that's pretty cool. That's <laughs> but they did close the issue, which kind of ticked me off. I don't think you should close issues until the, the, the fix is actually fixed and deployed. True, true. Oh, yes. So, nice philosophical debate about that. Yeah. yeah anyway. Golf claps for Azure DevOps team. Nice work. Mm, absolutely. Right. Anything else before we move on? Not in the Azure space. We've got, we got one or two other things, but before we do that. Well, let's hear from a sponsor. A 99.9% SLA means you're protected from power outages, bad patches, natural disasters, and maybe even a dinosaur attack. Does it protect you from yourself though? Avpoint Backup for SharePoint Online provides full fidelity backup and recovery from individual items to entire sites. Avpoint can run backups up to four times a day to ensure your data is secure. Recover any time you want without having to pick up the phone and schedule restore windows. Learn why Avpoint is the Microsoft Cloud expert at www.avpoint.com. Coolio, a couple of items. We've got something from GitHub and something from Office 365. Would you like to roll into one of these? I want the Office 365 one. We have an announcement that came out just yesterday on September the 18th for an updated, announcing the availability of updated page diagnostics tool for SharePoint. So this tool is version 2.0.1. It is a Chromium browser extension. You can be used in Chrome and the Microsoft Edge version 77 or later to help you identify site pages in SharePoint Online that may not be delivering on optimal performance. So it's kind of cool. Uh, it's got... Hey, hey, the who to blame tool. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's some neat stuff about it. it kind of gives you some opportunities of things you can look at like hey I found some web parts on this page that are using iframes I got some web parts that are affecting page load time it's a cool approach that they've done here with this instead of you know we used to have that dev dashboard you can open up at the bottom of the page I like having an add-in that I can install in my browser and I can take a look at so that I don't have to do something special on the site to get it to show up instead it's a, a true dev tool and it, we don't have to rely on SharePoint rolling out updates to a dev tool. Instead, we can get an update to the tool itself and have it installed, the latest version installed on our machine. So I like that they're adding this as an extension to the browser. And it can get you browser level performance metrics too. You know, like mm. how things are perceived by the user, right? Because it's not server-side. Yep. Yeah, that's really nice. Mm -hmm. It's that's, very cool. Uh, that's really interesting that they've built that. I heard a lot about from different customers that SharePoint pages can be extremely variable in their performance in SharePoint Online from time to yep. time. Yep. And it's quite hard to figure out why. And so tools to help us do that are pretty sweet. 
usually it's because I designed it, but yeah, that's I, I don't I didn't see that in the feature there so, or in the thing that they listed. So I felt five hundred web parts on a page. Wow, I mean, I can do it. I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay, so Microsoft also made a acquisition this past week. Yesterday, they announced that they are buying a code analysis platform called Semel. I think it's called Semel or Semel. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct. Anyway, what's quite good about GitHub is that when you put code in GitHub, it can scan for certain vulnerabilities and packages you depend on and stuff like in node projects. And so you get a certain amount of code scanning as part of using GitHub, uh, which is nice. You can say, hey, you've taken a dependency on this package. This package has a vulnerability. It's been fixed in this particular version. You should upgrade, right? Hmm. And I imagine that's what is going on with this as well, that they're able to understand the code that you're putting into GitHub better, not necessarily just from a security point of view, but just in general, right? And so some of the scenarios that these guys give on their site is that you're able to like, it'll scan your code and understand your, the, the structure of your code and all that sort of stuff. And you can query it for common patterns like, oh, it's a common pattern that results in a buffer overrun, right? And so you can go find those in your code, I imagine. I think that's where these guys come in. So there's obviously a bunch of out-of-the-box kind of checks, but I, I imagine you can also, as a business, you can put in your own and say, we don't want to end up with this pattern in our code and stuff. And so it can help developers understand practices that they should not be doing. I love the, the two, they have two products and I love the name of one of the products is LGTM. It's their looks good to me yeah. product. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Supply> machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It automatically analyzes every commit to, to identify vulnerabilities early and enable developers to prevent zero days from reaching production. I like that. I like that mm-hmm. a lot. Uh, I wonder cool. what languages they, they, they work against. I imagine. Oh, no. Curious. Anyway, so that's a, a nice acquisition Microsoft has made. And I imagine we will see that service pop up in GitHub as maybe some sort of premium feature or maybe a standard feature. I don't know what they've got planned there. But uh, I imagine a nice, tight integration and uh, Azure DevOps repos says it runs over 1,600 standard analysis things, checks that have been defined. And I was trying to see something else, but I saw the other tool, uh, QL, C, C++, C Sharp, JavaScript, Python, all the big ones. Sorry, not VB, not VB6. You can't, you're screwed. So you still got your zero days. (laughs) Bummer. It's okay. Nobody's writing vulnerabilities for VB6. It's awesome. <laughs> oh, I'm I'm sure there's someone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On error, resume next, baby. All the way. <laughs> if it works on my machine. Exactly. Exactly. Hey, uh, why don't we get into the picks and wrap this thing up? Sounds good to me. CJ's Hyperfish automates the collection of user profile information from users in organizational directories such as Office 365, SharePoint, Active Directory, and HR systems. The secure service supports on-premises, hybrid, and online environments. Bring your directory to life at hyperfish.com. AC's Voitanos delivers on-demand video-based training for developers on the latest SharePoint extensibility model from Microsoft in his course, Mastering the SharePoint Framework. Rock and roll, AC. What do you got for us this week? You know, when we started the show, I didn't have a pick for you. And I thought about it and I'm like, you know what? Son of a bitch. Of course we got to pick. And I got to pick it. Tesla took a modified Model S around the Nuremberg ring. Nice. 
and it beat the Porsche Taycan. Nice. And not only that. What did they modify? Do you know? Does it say? Because that's actually been quite a controversial thing recently is cars setting records or setting times at Nürburgring and but them not being the exact road variant, if you know what I mean. There was one recently, I can't remember what one they were talking about, that oh, I was a Lamborghini. There was a Lamborghini that beat something else, but it was like insanely modified. And everybody was like, that doesn't count. So they would not say what was modified, but there's an inside source that says the cars as being, quote, stripped to the gun walls. The interior is fully gutted of anything apart from necessary seats, harnesses, and driver controls, hence the dark tinted windows. They are brand, and they're just, all there was was just weight. But there also is speculation because they have a new drivetrain, high performance drivetrain or ultra high performance drivetrain that's coming out in later this year. I can't remember exactly which one it is, but it's the, right now it's called Plaid. You just got ludicrous mode and you got Plaid. Plaid's going to be next. The theory is, is that that's what it is. So what it's been doing right now, it was able to do it. And this is, again, this is in traffic. So other cars were on the ring when it was going, but it did the entire ring in seven minutes and 23 seconds, beating the Porsche Taycan by 20 seconds, almost 20 seconds, because it did it in seven minutes and 42 seconds. And then what I thought was cool about this story as well is if you go look on the same day that they did this or that the article started coming out and you look at the Twitter account for uh, Tesla... And there's a picture of two station supercharger that they have installed permanently at the ring. And it says, we installed a supercharger at Nuremberg ring. It makes it feel more like home, you know? And there's a picture of a Model S sitting there backed into it getting charged. (laughs) That's nice. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, I'd like to go and drive the Nuremberg ring because it looks really fun. I just want to, I want to not notch in my belt. Have you done the ring? I'm like, I've done the ring. Even if I'm not going crazy fast around it, I want to do the ring. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, the, the controversy recently was this Lamborghini Aventador, I think it was, that set a new record. But it, it took the production car record off the Porsche 911 GT2 RS by like a couple of seconds, I think. And there's a big controversy about it, whether it qualifies as a production street legal car because it's so modified or something. Anyway, Ah. that's the theory. I've driven around in a 911 GT2 RS and I can tell you, I was extremely sick afterwards because that thing just bends physics. It's insane. So the person that we both know that has that, he's offered to give me a ride as well and said, I'd like to see if you get sick like CJ got sick when you take you for a ride. I'm like, how about we do it on a day I'm not flying? Yeah. Yeah. So just for the record, like a GT2 RS... Its record lap time around Nürburgring is 6.47 and a quarter of a second, so 6.47. And so your, your modded Tesla is doing it in 6.23, uh, sorry, 7.23, so it's about mm-hmm. 40 seconds faster, which 40 seconds around Nürburgring, it's a lot of time, but it's also not a lot of time when you think about how long a lap is of seven minutes. I mean, it's a decent percentage, but man, the Tesla's killing it. Like, yeah. Great lap time. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty cool there's some pretty cool pictures from it but of course you know it just it's just a model s driving around the rings it's like i seen it there was a video that, that came out the other day of it going through the real dangerous turn or one of the real dangerous turns i guess there's a lot of them but yeah we gotta, we gotta any time and drive one day anyhow one last thing i'm gonna out myself and just show you how much of a dumbass i am a couple of years ago i was in germany at a conference 
and I had to go to another conference in Germany. And I did the train from one city to the next. And I am forgetting the two cities that I was going between all of a sudden now, but I was going between two cities. Actually, I think I was going from a city in Germany up to, to, up to Amsterdam. That's what it was. And I talked to a friend of ours, Brett Lonsdale, who said he was doing the same trip, but he wasn't taking a train. He was driving. And I was like, oh, no kidding. He goes, yeah, you should go with us. I'm like, why? He's like, because the ring is on the way and we're going to stop by it. And I was like, no, I'm going to take the train. And I'm a dumbass because yeah. I didn't have a, I had a chance to go to the ring and I didn't even go. Uh, that's brutal. Yeah. So what you got for us? <laughs> Slightly less exciting. I read this article in Forbes the other day. about It's a profile about Daniel Dines. I think that's how you pronounce his last name. Who's the CEO and founder of UiPath. And they're on a tear at the moment. So they're, they're in the news everywhere. It's sort of the hot topic is bots and automation. And these guys have got it. Like, I don't know if you've looked at UiPath and what they do, but it's kind of interesting. Like they help you automate manual processes, basically. Actually, one of our sponsors, Nintex, has made an acquisition in this space recently in the last, I think we talked about it on the show a little while back. And so this area is, is quite a hot commodity right now. And my summary of it in a nutshell is, you know how like proper integration between systems would be using APIs and, and building glue between the two systems? Mm-hmm. This, is, this is for when the glue's too hard, the systems are too old, the processes are too manual. Things like invoice processing, right? Where somebody sends you an invoice in, in a PDF and you've got to scrape a bunch of material out of it and stuff it into your accounting system and then do something on the CRM. And UiPath helps make automation tools to, to hook all those things together. There's a bunch of solutions in this area and that the area is really sort of taking off right now in terms of, one could argue it's all buzzword bingo, right? But regardless of whether it's real or not, these guys are currently valued at $7 billion, did a recent funding round of $560 million and are on an absolute tear. And my, my theory is that there's so many shitty old systems in the world, you've got no chance of integrating them properly, so you might as well screen scrap. <laughs> that's my that's my take on it. It's a great, I mean, it's a that's a great approach because I mean the UIs are tried and true. So I mean they're not going to change if they're really old systems. So it's a great way to this is awesome. Anyway, so this is a profile about this guy. Seems pretty interesting. It's titled From Communism to Coding, how Daniel Dines of seven billion dollar UI path became the first bot billionaire. And uh, just sort of gives a, a profile about his history and how it all came to be and where UI path is now at and all that. And uh, yeah, just an interesting read. Good background about it. <laughs> I love this stuff. You're talking about his early years at Microsoft. My first years were terrible in meetings. I understood 50 to 60% of what they talked about and I couldn't speak anything. It was only much later that he discovered that some words like folder were more than, were more than the names of window, Windows icons. <laughs> this is cool. Yeah. yeah. Right on. Hey, well, good episode. I'm looking forward to Ignite with you. I've got my tickets locked and loaded and ready to rock and roll. So we'll have more news about what we're doing there in the coming shows as we find out what our schedule is for the live shows. We're starting to think about all that sort of stuff. Yeah, we should know something in early October, I think, about the timing of stuff. We got a pretty cool live show lined up as well provided schedules work out but i i got a, I got a pretty good live show that we got like that we got set up here that I'm, I'm looking forward to yeah for sure cool all right ac have a good one yeah man you too did you like this episode 
please tweet about it and drop a five-star review in iTunes. Word of mouth recommendations are the most effective ways for us to grow the show. We'd really appreciate it. If you have a question for us, go to microsoftcloudshow.com slash questions, where you can submit it as text or record it as an MP3 or WAV file and provide a link so we can play your question on the show. Our theme music is brought to you by Keith Ritchie. For more information on Keith's music, head to music.kritchie.com. You can subscribe to us in iTunes and Google Play Store by searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or via RSS at microsoftcloudshow.com, where you'll also find show notes of each episode. You can also find us on Facebook searching for Microsoft Cloud Show or on Twitter at MS Cloud Show. And finally, sign up for our mailing list by heading over to our website and entering your email to interact with us, participate in upcoming interviews, and other cool stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.